This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. And I am Zach Moore. And this week, we discuss the evolution of the Klingons in the original series, the movies, and the Kelvin timeline, and present our own thoughts on how this powerful enemy has changed over time in both appearance and culture. Yeah, Zach. You know, I think it'll be fun, especially with, with Discovery being such a focus now, to to move from how we met the Klingons in Errand of Mercy through a few different episodes. I think the last time we saw them was Day of the Dove, if I've got everything in order in my head correctly, which I may not and will be corrected, through the motion picture, through the movies, and even into the Kelvin timeline. And I think it's important to discuss how both DS9 and Enterprise decided to address the physical changes versus what I thought, and still do, was simply a reinterpretation of the Klingons. Yeah, with the Klingons' new look in the motion picture, it was always Gene Roddenberry's intention that they always look that way. Like, there wasn't some augment virus or, or some explanation. It was just, hey, look, guys, we have a budget now. We can make these aliens look, you know, more alien. Which, which I mean, let's face it, the, the Klingons in the original series, they're, they have some, some, some of them have darker skin makeup. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, some of them don't. We can talk about that. <laughs> and then they have, you know, goatees, kind of a Fu Manchu look. And, uh, and that's it. And they have like a like a golden vest, and and that's 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 the extent of the Klingon makeup. And it's it's they're unrecognizable, uh, indistinguishable from humans. If if you have a non Star Trek fan who knows nothing about Star Trek, and you show them a picture of a Klingon, they'd be like, "Well, what is that? Is that a person?" Like they wouldn't even know that was an alien, you know. Right. So when you get a budget for the motion pictures, like okay, look, these this is like our number one bad guy. They they appeared more than than any other alien re- uh, race in the original series. And let's let's make them alien, you know. Let's let's show off their ships. Let's show off their, their their language. Like it was a complete, like it was it was unrecognizable. I, I can only imagine if the internet was around in 1979, what the reactions would have been towards like the trailer. I don't know if the Klingons were in the trailers or not over the motion picture, but, mm-hmm. but that yeah, and then were. actually a movie. So so okay, so kid, so you you know you you were you were contemporary with motion picture. You saw it when it came out. Right. You remember the trailers. Like, did, was there any buzz around around that? Or I uh, guess again, like, there wasn't really a fan culture that way to, for immediate reaction. I guess at the time, huh? Yeah, I, I think like um, like I said at the beginning that it was definitely a reinterpretation. But we loved it because you know Star Trek, which 
throughout its history, you know, struggled with budget, struggled with effects. I mean, they were fine for its day. And then in this this motion picture, it's like they completely, you know, got to they didn't really change the design of the Klingon warships, but they certainly made them sexy. Right. And that's kind of what they did with the Klingons themselves. And so I don't remember there being a negative buzz. In fact, I think a lot of people really like the new the new concept and they use the Klingons to advertise the first Happy Meal. (laughs) <laughs> that oh, that's was, right. That's yeah, right. You know, so <laughs> we talked about that before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did, and it was kind of a funny commercial. You can YouTube that, and it's it is kind of cool. So, you know, there there was a lot of um, there was a lot of buzz about them. I think the only thing that probably a lot of us were expecting because of the trailers and so forth is that we were going to see a lot more of them. And of course, I mean, they they started off in the film and they weren't in very long. Played a pivotable, pivotal, pivotable role. <laughs> pivotal role I can speak well <laughs> and you know it, it worked out fine but you know if, if we go back Zach right we, we remember the errand of mercy where we're introduced to John Calicos and and you know we're we're just told by Kirk and the rest before they even arrive on Organia that these are some badass folks right you, you don't mess with the Klingons they're they're warlike they're hungry they they do terrible things to um, nuns widows orphans and puppies right they are just they are just despicable people and they really were a a very intimidating uh i thought enemy and in how they were introduced and you know it kind of goes back and forth throughout the series but when you remember that first episode and i don't know if you've seen it you know in chronological order when you first watched tos or anything but what was kind of your impression of the klingons and where do you think it went during the tv series era well, it's funny you should ask because okay. actually, Standard Orbit 179, I had your sash. Mm-hmm. Me, and, me and Justin Oser from Real Gray actually talked about Aaron and Mercy and all the, uh, just everything that goes along with it. Right. We focused in on that episode, the first appearance of the Klingons. Uh, but I had, uh, that is an episode that I am actually not that familiar with. I, I guess it wasn't on my parents' VHS tapes when I was growing up or whatever. So actually, didn't, I've only, I've probably seen that like less than like three times ever, <laughs> which for me, it's like not a lot for a Star Trek episode. I have to go back now and look at your contract. Can you actually do a TOS <laughs> podcast having only seen one specific episode less than 50 times? I don't. That could be a problem. I'm like, oh, the Cleons are in season one? I, I didn't even know that. Who, who's, who's core? But uh, <laughs> yeah, revisiting it, yeah, <laughs> revisiting it, they, uh, you know, John Colicos really defines, you, you can see like everybody said, oh, that's what a Cleon is. And everybody mm-hmm. after him in the original series pretty much modeled themselves after that. Uh, th- but there was, you know, I, I did like this. There was some variety in the original series Klingons. They weren't, I know they have a criticism of the later era. It's like, oh, they're all just these these samurai Viking warriors whose honor and glory, and that's all they care about. Uh, but but there are some, and, you know, there are some exceptions, you know, the, the, the exceptions that prove the rule in the later years, like Gowron and Martok, they're, they're all, they all have their own personality. And if you look at TOS, uh, Kor certainly has his own personality. He forged where the Cleon is. Koloth is very different. He's kind of mm-hmm. jokey, you know. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of it comes from the actor, William Campbell, who played Trelane. <laughs> right. But uh, so they didn't care about recasting back then. But uh, it came, I don't, it's like if they had Q play like a Romulan on The Next Generation. It's just bizarre to me that Trelane played a Klingon the next year, huh, Ken? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was different. It was different. But he pulled it off, you know. Oh, no, I think so. But he had, you know, that's my point. Like, like he had a, mm-hmm. a kind of different air about him. He was more jokey, kind of back and forth with Kirk. He had, he had a very distinct voice and, and characteristics, mm-hmm. right? So that you're right. When he was in the Klingon makeup, you're kind of like, 
Yeah, okay. But, you know, he was he was still a devious, and, and he sparred well with Kirk, I thought. Yes, well. uh, sparred. Yeah, back and, nice, good back and forth between them. And then, of course, Kang. You know, Kang was more like Kor, but he he had a different shade to him, too. He was a little more... Uh, I think I think he's the classic, more honorable Klingon. If you look at the uh, the original series, and then you got these other random Klingons here and there, but they they were all they were all different enough where you didn't they were just generic, and that's why fans remembered them. So when the, you know when Deep Space Nine brought them back, you know twenty five thirty years later, like there was a reason to do it, and they were all distinctive enough where it wasn't just the same character three times. Mm-hmm. So I, I do feel like even though. Um, Visually, they were more generic. Personality-wise, they were less generic. If that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. And you know, I, I thought they were a a good villain. I know who they represented, right? It was it was Cold War kind of a combina- combination of of the Russians and the Chinese with kind of a Japanese flair from World War Two. And you know, they they, <laughs> they were fine. And you know, I, I like I said, it was it was interesting because the way the fans take the changes that you know and, and making sure that everything lines up uh there's there's little room for i guess as we say modern reinterpretation as things come down the pike so then you know, when we jump from the um the original series to the motion picture which it, which by the way uh savage curtain was the last time we saw the Klingon Savage Kalos. Oh, that's right. Okay. So. Yep. Good. Good call out there, right, Kalos? Yeah. And um, and when they, when they flipped it to to the motion picture, you got a lot more specifics, uh, you know, in the documentation and the press releases of that movie. You know, the reason that they had the ridges or whatnot was their brain was in backwards. So where our spine hits, you know, at the base of the neck, their spine begins in the forehead, and that's what created the ridges going back, and that's why none of them had hair over that area mm-hmm. of their heads. And it was, it's okay, you know, it makes, when you when you saw that and they explained it, it made sense. I think a lot of that got lost uh, for whatever reason, you know, as, as, the, um, as the shows evolved and the movies evolved. But, you know, you still had that general look, you know, that, that the big head with the ridges yeah, and all that stuff. If you look at, yeah, no, that makes sense because if you look at the motion picture, they all look pretty much the same. They have a, it's perfect how you describe it because that's how they describe it. Like it's the spine that goes to the forehead. Mm-hmm. And that's just uh, part of the biology. Now, when they got to Star Trek Three, they kind of reinterpreted. They kind of had the turtle turtle head right. uh, makeup, which which carried on all the way through, you know, the end of the you know the Voyager era, and that did give every Klingon kind of more distinct. Like you know, it's like a giraffe, right? It has <laughs> different spots every one, right? That's how they kind of approached <laughs> right. it. Like every Klingon has a different forehead. And that's cool and all, and I guess it makes it. It's this. It's this weird balance between less generic and more generic, right? So we're talking about here. I didn't really think about that. How that travels across all all aspects of them, but yes, all the head foreheads are different. But then you're like, why? Well, well, then why do they have these foreheads? <laughs> they kind of it kind of undercuts the the clever um, explanation of why they look that way from the original redesign. And now it's like, oh, everybody just has a different looking forehead, et cetera, et cetera. So. Mm-hmm. I think that you know, when you had Roddenberry at the helm of things, for better or worse, he was very specific as to why things were, and he would have the um, the updated, you know, so-called show bible or whatever, you know, and on all of the things you know had to be followed a certain way. I think that's why the motion picture is so structured, and then you move into the other films, and it was more about the story. And there wasn't a lot of yeah, who cares about canon so much. Let's just let's just tell a good story mm-hmm. type of thing, and and I think that's permeated right into you know Star Trek 09. It's definitely 
part of discovery now. And I think that's actually fine because I think it, it just shows a different lens. You don't have to get into multiple universes and all this other stuff like we do with comic books. It just allows you to to see things a little bit differently. And I think that's probably what's happening with Discovery because a lot of people are asking, well, what about the human-like Klingons? And I think the producers of that show are going, uh, we just showed you how we created the human-like Klingons. <laughs> right. So it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. Well, now, on a lot well, of I these think... things, I could be wrong and have been, but we'll see. I think, I think part of the, the conflict is... Uh, they had a pretty genius explanation in the motion picture for why the Enterprise looks different. Like, hey, we just refit this ship. Mm-hmm. You know, no, it's a completely, it's a totally new Enterprise. It's, you know, it's unrecognizable, right? To a to a degree, right? I mean, you can see it's the same basic. It's the design is similar. Like, it's the design, Shapes, obviously. Yeah. The you know they've upgraded all of it, mm-hmm. uh, but there's an in-universe explanation for why the ship looks different, right? right. Like, everybody's like, oh, okay, oh, and they got new costumes because the military changes uniforms, so military, you know, whatever. So <laughs> went there, didn't mean to, it's but quite, they changed they, right. they 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 change costumes and, and uniforms and whatnot. Uh, so it's like okay, I I'll allow that, you know. And then you see a lot of things you haven't seen before, you know. You're like okay, that's fine. We haven't seen that before. It doesn't contradict anything. But then you have the Klingons. You have seen them before, and it's like the ships. You can kind of like like okay, I guess we're just seeing the ship in high definition or whatever, so that's fine, that's why it looks, but it's the same looking ship, you know. But mm-hmm. then you see them, and you're like, okay, why they look different? Like, there's not, and that's why Star Trek fans are always looking for, like, the re- they're always looking to fill in the gaps of explanation, tying stories together, tying characters together, tying backstories together, uh, shrinking the universe for better or for worse, right? Everything has to be connected and explained. And when everything else in the movie was explained, uh, I mean, it's like half the movie is about, the Enterprise having been refit and it's totally new and Kirk doesn't know how stuff works, et cetera. It's a huge plot point right. of, of this upgrade. And then you just kind of throw, oh yeah, by the way, the Cleons are totally different too. No explanation. That kind of, I think that doesn't jive so well. I, I do wonder if they just had said, they haven't even gone with the refit thing. Like, hey, look, this is the Enterprise now. This is the way it was always meant to look. And when you think back on it, think of it that it always looked this way and we'll just move forward. And I wonder if they did that and, and didn't try to explain so many other things and left the Klingon thing up you know, up in the air, there wouldn't be such an obsession by fans and eventually the franchise itself to explain why there was a change in appearance. Yeah, well, I think that um, as part of the fan base back then, I, I don't think it bothered us um, mm. very much. You know what I mean? It was I, a simpler time. <laughs> I, I, I honestly believe that that is a piece of it. Now, obviously, I'm not speaking for everybody that, you know, was around back then and and saw things evolve. I think for a lot of us, it was just a lot of fun seeing Star Trek right up there with Star Wars as far as budget, as far as, you know, upgrades and all this other stuff. And and it kind of legitimized the fact that, yep, you know, we had our aliens too or whatever, and this is what they really look like. And, you know, like I said, I'm not speaking for everyone. There could have been a lot of people from from my era that that saw things differently. I just never heard about it, right? It was never at the conventions or whatnot. I never heard questions around that the, that focus point. Well, why are the Klingons different? Why are we treating them different? It just wasn't part of it. And I, I almost wonder if, as time went on, and people got hooked on TNG, and of course, you know, there was no mention of any augmentation or anything, and Klingons just continued to show up looking the way they do. And that happened again in DS9. In fact, even in Voyager, right, when they pulled Kang back, um, flashback, <laughs> with, yeah, when flashback. He looked like a modern-day Klingon. 
as did you know all the others that and they, there is an episode i i think it's called prophecy i don't know my voyager uh, knowledge is not as encyclopedic as, as some of the other series, but mm-hmm. they find an old uh, D7, that's like right. in the Delta Quadrant, right? Yep. And all those Klingons look the same, too. <laughs> so. Yeah, they did. Yeah, that's right. And that was actually a very good episode. And and it was, um, it, you know, it was, it, it was an interesting approach to things. But yeah, so, so they kept it consistent. And I think that the tripping point was obviously when they decided to do that homage to Trouble with Tribbles for the anniversary and, you know, as clever as an episode it was, I'm beginning to think that the beginning of all this debate really started to come in earnest around that point. I, I could be wrong, but I don't remember hearing a lot of people asking questions about humanoid Klingons until it, until that episode came up. And they had to come up with a clever way, you know, and even, you know, Worf kind of saying, yeah, we, we don't discuss it, you know. See, I, th- I thought that was brilliant, though. It's like a, it's like a nod to the fans. Like, yeah. Look, we know it's different. Yeah. All right, we're gonna we're gonna address it. It's a fun, it's, you know, it was a fun episode to begin with, right? Uh, uh and leave it at that, right? It's like okay, right. they addressed it. Let's move on from it. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, but and no. they never talk about it again. <laughs> but then, like, as true Star Trek fan fashion, we just have to obsess over it. Like, oh no, there has to be an explanation, and, and it ended up being one of um, I think Bashir's like because they're guessing like what happened, you know, him and O'Brien and Bashir, and Bashir's like genetic mutation. I'm like, oh, that, did they like cling on to that no pun intended <laughs> and uh use right. that as a spinning off point and i just i think you know and, and I, I don't recall exactly uh what the quote is from ronald dean moore talking about this i i don't know if he said like they had considered just when they went to the past having michael dorn not have clean on makeup like giving him original series makeup mm-hmm. and like just like not even addressing it that that would have been another like kind of funny way to address it i guess that would have been cool uh yeah. if he just like looked like he did pretty you know in the tng episode homeward yeah. Uh, where I always think he looks like because uh, he's he's dressed up like a like a like an alien that his his uh, adoptive brother is working on that planet and he has to disguise himself as one. He always looks like okay if Michael Dorn was a TOS Klingon he would look like he did in this episode. He's got a little bit of a goatee, you know, a little bit of a different face, but that's pretty much it. And I do it. Those are like your two options, I guess. You have you have to do it right because I mean they're they're literally in scenes with Klingons from the original series. So you either do some joke like they did, right, or you do the makeup like I think they had considered. I I fall on the side of the joke. It's a great one-liner. It is, and they should just left it at that. And I I don't think anything's wrong with that. Like I feel like they had to do it, so that's fine. You, then leave you it couldn't alone. ignore it. You couldn't. Ignore yeah, you, it. you <laughs> couldn't ignore it. But just at that point, just leave it. From it's, that point forward, leave it alone. I don't know. I you know Enterprise. They got into season four. I don't know who. I don't know if it was Manny Cotto or, or, or who it was. Like, okay, now's our chance to explain because because okay, because that's a huge deal. And we're kind of jumping all around the timeline here, but that's what we do on. Well, that's Road, okay. Right? Yeah. But you go to you go to Enterprise and people and you're like, oh, there's going to be a prequel series to TOS. Well, how how are we going to see the Klingons like that? I it, the minute that show was announced, like 2000 or 1999 or whatever, whenever it was, right? Uh, that is what the the fans were talking about. And then the Klingons show up and they look like the next gen Klingons. Be like, what is this? And <laughs> It's, and then, but then for three years, everybody was like, "Oh no, guys, look! They were just always supposed to look that way. Just ignore how they looked in TOS. <laughs> embrace the end joke from Trials and Tribulations. Right. This is how they look. Do you really want them to look like they did in the '60s? Come on, right? It's the you know 21st century now. We have the technology. It would look ridiculous, right? And then we get to season four, and it was like the fan service season for better and for worse. There's some great stuff, and there's some like, ah, do we really need to like spell out that much stuff in season four of Enterprise? Uh, but they went there, like mm-hmm. I don't, I, and I, I don't know exactly whose idea it was, but I, I that 
that is where we have serious problems because then you have an end universe. Like then you kind of have to yeah. accept that there was a change and there was a change back. And then you have like the guys from like core Koloff and Kang, like they had the virus and they got smooth heads and then they got cured, I guess. And then when they, cause when they come back in new space nine, they look like the TNG Klingons, you know? And, and then you get, okay, and then on top of that, now we have discovery where it takes place contemporary with TOS pre OS, as we call it here on standard orbit. Mm-hmm. And you have Klingons. Not only do they look like the, not only do they not look like the sixties Klingons, they play <laughs> like radically different. Honestly, they look more like the Kelvin timeline Klingons than anything else we saw in the prime timeline before. So that, so we are just all over the place with the appearance. And I don't, I don't know. It, it does get, it, it, you're like a one timeline guy. I'm like, a, I'm, and I'm like a one Klingon guy, you know, I'm like, it's so confusing. <laughs> Can we've just left it with one. Yeah. Well, I, that was a pretty good, you walked us down the path, I think. <laughs> so next week we'll be talking about, anyway. <laughs> I know, there you have it. <laughs> Klingons are the only thing we're talking about. Anyway, so, that, so that's kind of, that, that's the stuff yeah, we're all you know, and I do, I do understand the, um, the need and the drive to having consistency. And I know it drives some people crazy when things bump all over the map, right? And you have people, it, and it's funny because unless I could fully understand how people see things, right? Everybody's so different. It's it's hard for me to understand why it's it's such a big deal. But there are things in Star Trek that are big deals to me too. That's just not one of them. And it is interesting when you look at, you know, I, I thought the Kelvin timeline, we really see them up close in some of the deleted scenes of 09, then of course in uh, Into Darkness, uh, you, you get a much better look at them. And they really don't look radically different. They look a little bit more like a combination of the motion picture and the newer ones from from TNG up, I thought, and but tighter. They didn't have huge heads or anything like mm-hmm. that. They were all bald. You know, they had the, um, I guess, the jewelry, so to speak, along their ridges and ears and stuff. Yeah, the, the bling-ons, as the, I've the heard. Bling-ons, the bling-ons, yeah, that's a pretty good term. <laughs> and their eyes looked awesome. Right? I mean, yes, I thought, I like thought it was eyes, like piercing. Yes. And it was like, man, do they look intimidating. And I like the helmets. I like the whole thing. And then when you um, you come into Discovery, they have the the front of their faces look like they do a little bit from from uh, the Kelvin timeline, but their heads are much much bigger. I mean, they are completely mm-hmm. different. Uh, I mean, the back of their heads go way out, and you know they they have a a very um, and very intimidating look. And, but in my opinion, a less of a realistic look. It's kind of funny to me that we have this this very modern show, but the the Klingons themselves, to me anyway, when you're when you're looking right at their faces, they're fine. When you kind of pull back or whatnot, it 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 definitely doesn't feel all that alien. It feels like they're in a costume to me. To me, <laughs> don't kill me, but it's just how I feel. Uh, but I mean, they're they're definitely taking it in a new direction. So I think, you know, as we we see these, um, we we see in Discovery, they've definitely are being very consistent with how the Klingon culture is described and and discussed and shown to us in TNG and in Deep Space Nine. There's no doubt about that. With some of the um, the TOS elements from, you know. Um, the leadership and the struggles that they have, but it's it's uh, it's an interesting ride to say the least. I just you know I was almost when when we put this thing together, I was like, ah, oh, it'd be cool if Zach didn't agree with me, but he does. <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> <laughs> so now we'll have some interesting discussions. I hope 
on the Babel conference because you know it's it is kind of a, you know kind of a, a group think here right now, but it, it is interesting to see how other people take this and why it it bothers folks from time to time. Well, you talk about the the visual look, you know, that's what we've been kind of focusing on. Uh, the the clowns not only have they changed visually, they changed culturally because in the in the original series they were the Soviets, right? They were the the you know from the from the American mindset at the time, like the the scheming. You know, uh, undercover. They were the villains, communists. You know? They were the Russians. Yeah. They were the, yeah. So, mm-hmm. but that and, the, and but but they didn't have this whole concept of honor and stuff like that. You know, I mean, they, they were they would they would do whatever it took. To, they were brutal. They were uh, terrible terrible bad guys. You know, as, as you described earlier, what Kirk was talking about. And then you get to TNG, mm-hmm. and okay, but yeah, but in two S, the the Romulans were the honorable ones. They had the code. You know, uh, bounce of tears, all about the guy. You know. Uh, we blowing yep. himself up at the end, all that stuff. Um, and they were more of a you know regal or whatever you want to call it. But then you get to TNG, and it's almost like they kind of flip it, where the Romulans are like the the scheming, conniving ones, hiding hiding in the shadows, that kind of stuff, uh, uh, spies and whatnot. <laughs> and, and because in the original series, the Klingons right. had spies. That's a big deal, you know. And they've brought that back, you know, the uh, plastic surgery to uh, uh, to create uh, undercover spies. And then, but but then in, in TNG, you know, the the Klingons are the ones with the honor code and this and that, and you know the Romulans are without honor and all that stuff. And and it's interesting that like y- y- there's been a, there was just a huge shift from from what we had in in TOS to to what the Klingons are in TNG, and that has carried through and now carried back when you go to Enterprise and Discovery because there's so much Klingons in the 24th century era that is what people think about, and that's what you kind of have to base things off of. Uh, as you move forward, because that's what people know, and the thing about the thing about that is, uh, the uh, uh, it all it all comes down as, as as we have determined here. Again, it all comes down to Star Trek Three, right? The Star Trek Three is the pivot point for all this stuff, right? Because you have uh, so much of of what Klingons are in in the twenty fourth century and everything is informed by Star Trek Three. It's like we are Klingons, <laughs> right? I, mean, I feel like that. That is carried through. It's, it's so much, right? Yes. All that stuff, um, you know, the, the Klingon language, everything. I mean, it was a little bit in the motion picture, but you know, with the motion picture, you see them so little, you can just assume they're just the same as they were in COS, mm-hmm. right? You know, you know, Soviet stand-ins, conniving, all, you know, whatever you want to call it, whatever, whatever the adjectives are right. for them back then. Uh, but then you get to start your shoot three, first. and they're like, "There's yeah. shoot, yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, exactly. They're shooting first. There's something. Oh, we don't understand yeah. it. Let's shoot it, right? Right. Um, but that's within character, right? So then you go to the Klingons and." The ironic thing in Star Trek Three is is these are renegade Klingons. You know, they're not necessarily representations of their whole race, but because that's what we saw as the audience, that becomes the definition. Because you know, Christopher Lloyd and his crew, he like defined what the Klingons were. You know, and you know, his whole mm-hmm. crew and all this whole my lord stuff with the Klingons and uh, uh, yeah, it, it, and then those were supposed to be Romulans. So I feel like that's kind of where the maybe the beginnings of the switcheroo was right. with like what what these guys did. And then you extrapolate that, and then Nick Meyer comes back for Star Trek VI, kind of re, re kind of enforces the the Soviet metaphor, right? Right, because it's the Cold War in space, and that's that's really cool, and and, and a great kind of historical and cultural touchstone uh, to to explain why, because that's the great thing. So, but yeah, so so that's jumping all around the timeline, each other, right? Star Trek VI is a great way to fill in and explain a gap because we had TOS where they're enemies, TNG comes out in '87, they're friends now, right? But we had not become friends with the Klingons yet, and the two, and like from our perspective as the audience, right? Because that's Star Trek Four, right? So let's explain how we became friends. Oh, look, here it is, Star Trek Six, and that's a great way to explain it, and very daftly, uh, deftly hand, daftly, no, deftly handled. Um, 
Yep. So I feel like that shift between like their culture, but then also like the relationships between the Federation and the Klingons was pretty smooth uh, and required, right? But then the parents' stuff was like, eh, you guys kind of botched it. You could have left it alone. It didn't need to be addressed. Because stuff like the Klingons were your enemy, now you're their friend, that needs to be addressed. Stuff like, hey, the special effects change, why they look different, doesn't really need to be addressed, in my opinion. So. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. A couple of things you said that, that you're absolutely right on how they they flipped the Romulan culture and the Klingon culture. Uh, just at another level, too, the, the cloaking device was always mm. looked at as Romulan. And that the, the assumption was when the Klingons and the Romulans became allies, the Romulans shared cloaking technology with the Klingons, right? So you're right, Star Trek Three flipped all that. But even now, in the most modern era of Star Trek, it's like the cloaking technology is all Klingon, right? I mean, it's, it's just amazing to me, you know, uh, even before, I guess, in a sense, uh, cloaks were, were even understood or, or being utilized. You know, another kind of one of those weird things with, um, I hate the word canon, but that's the only thing you can, <laughs> it's the only thing you can kind of use, I guess. It just, it just sounds like a, a you know, a, a term when used when you're talking about movies or entertainment, um, you know, uh, an odd term, let's just put it that way. Not a bad term, but just an odd term. But I would just say historically, you know, it was always kind of the, the Romulans game. These were the high tech kind of sneaky folks that that um you know par for par with with the federation the klingons were there they were they were bad guys they had technology but you didn't get the you know if if they wanted something it would sound it sounded to me like they would just steal it right and that's how they kind of accumulated their technology well and that's they even talk about that like it was the the herc was the species that had uh and this is you know d space nine now Mm -hmm. but they had kind of enslaved the Klingons and the Klingons rose up and overthrew them and they kind of took their technology and that makes a lot of sense. You're like, how do these like kind of brute warriors right. you know, invent all this technology? And, oh, they just kind of, much like how the mirror universe ends up taking the technology, right? And, and, right. The, and the Enterprise and now Discovery, right, as we learn. So uh, that, that's, a, that's actually, so there, are, there are ways to do it, guys. So there's, there's retconning that's cool. So, so what we're trying to explain here is that we're cool with these explanations when they do it kind of right. <laughs> we're not saying, no, it has to be the way it was in the 60s all the time. But some things just don't need to be explained, and and that's and that's one of them. So I know, sorry, sorry, I don't disagree with you, Cannon. <laughs> no, that's quite all right, buddy. I, I mean, you never know where these things are going to go, and and that's why I think it's 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 good to kind of discuss forth, and hopefully, you know, because it's very relevant with what's going on in, in Discovery, that it'll be a good talking point on the Babel conference because it's already started to a certain degree, right? By the time this airs, it will be a couple of weeks past the uh, the season finale, and we'll see where everything else lines up, and maybe there'll be some surprises there. But Yeah, what'd you, hey, what would you think about the Enterprise showing up? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Call my shot now. Rob Lowe is Christopher Pike. You heard it here first. Rob Lowe is uh, Christopher Pike. Oh, well, whatever. Think about it, huh? He looks like Jeffrey Hunter. So if, if the Enterprise ever shows up on Discovery, he should be uh, Captain Pike. Because so, clearly they're not using the Kelvin timeline actors. If they were... I'd be all about Bruce Greenwood, but anyway, that you know. Speaking of Discovery, though, that is one thing that kind of bothered me. It's like in the in the pilot for Discovery, right? It's like, oh look, the Klingon ship decloaked. I'm like, no, 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 no. Okay, <laughs> now I'm gonna put on my fanboy cannon hat and say, look, guys, someone is confused here because the Klingons did not cloak until after the Romulan Klingon alliance. And then somebody's like, of course, the defense for that is, oh. That wasn't established on screen. It's like, yeah, guys, but it's been part of like fanon for like 50 years. <laughs> You know, right. so it was kind of a no- that that of all the changes in discovery, like I, the, to your point, Ken, like to seeing the Klingons have like 
they had cloaks just like the Romulans. Like that that annoyed me because it makes sense. Well, it was just, in fairness, it, it was just one ship, right? And yes, you know, then that technology got shared, and it was hundreds and hundreds of years old, which I thought was also Yo, very interesting. Well, well, yeah, 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 exactly. Like this is an ancient ship. I'm like, how long have they had this technology? Right? I just mm. uh, anyway. Yeah. That, that's if all the if all the nitpicks of discovery. That's that's the one of the ones that annoys me the most. But uh, but does it not make sense? for the Rhymelands to have cloaking technology, but not the Klingons. Is the Klingons, is that not the most dishonorable thing you can do? It's sneak around, you know, uncloak, destroy somebody, cloak, and run away, right? That's not the, what the Klingons end up being, right? Uh, that's, that's an interesting approach. You know, there, there's a whole rules of war piece to, I think, this show that works interestingly on, on both sides. And I think that will be a great topic one of these days when we start talking about, you know, ethics and fighting and... You know, as, as I've said before, uh, you know, the Federation has, has been demonstrated, which I think is kind of ironic, the way the writers write it a lot, is that the way it's set up is extraordinarily noble, but not sustainable, sustainable. Hmm. And, you know, uh, just like in yesterday's Enterprise, so the Federation always gets its ass kicked, <laughs> you know, and I just kind of laugh at it. It's like, yeah, well, you know, this is kind of how, you, how you're setting things up, Um you know, but anyway, maybe if you guys use cloaking devices, you wouldn't be losing your war. So. <laughs> well, that, that's right. I mean, it's it is it is kind of funny. I mean, TOS it was kind of like everybody was um, doing what happens today, trying to keep up with each other's technology as a deterrent for war. Whereas, you know, I think as time went on, the Federation was allowing its enemies to gain, and their willingness not to accept the technology as saying, "Hey, we're not a threat." And using that as a deterrent for war, and uh, that just never works. So. Yeah, taking the moral high ground is never effective when you're so in, in an active war. I've said it before, and I'll say it again: good will never live off the charity of evil. Just doesn't work. And um, it's it's just an interesting concept. But boy, did we go off the rails on that one. But that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. So you know, I think I think to kind of summarize this whole thing, Zach, that you and I are definitely aligned in. I love, you know, the Klingons, and I and I always have. I know there was a lot of people uh, before Discovery came on was saying, you know, gee, I, I hope it's not the Klingons again, right? Because it's always the Klingons, and we're tired of the Klingons. Again with the Klingons. Uh, yeah, again with the Klingons. <laughs> However, uh, you know, they they are a uh, a formidable foe. I think they're the antithesis in our era of Star Trek of what the Federation stands for. I think the evolution of the uh, the alignment between the two within TNG says a lot. I think it's a, a very positive thing. I was almost, um, I, I was kind of depressed when in Deep Space Nine they became uh, enemy factions again for a while, mm -hmm. right? So that was the point, though, right? That stung, that hurt, because you spent yeah. like seven plus yeah, years, like, oh, these are our friends, and now like, oh, now they're not. So That's right, because you build it up, and it's like, yeah, okay, you know, this, this, is, this is pretty awesome. And then when it went the other way, now, you know, obviously it's discovered there's a reason all that happened, but mm -hmm. and, it, and it circles back. It, it's just one of those things where it's like, ah, oh, you know, you, you, don't, you don't like to see things get, get built up and then down. But if they're going to be bad guys, they are great bad guys. The Romulans, mm -hmm. they're just not that intimidating. We all love the Vulcans. Mm -hmm. They're just not that intimidating, even with the, the unexplained new foreheads that they gain in TNG. <laughs> so, let's, talk, uh, let's talk about that. People have a problem. Okay. <laughs> People have a problem with the. Let's go completely off topic. People have a problem with the Klingons changing their appearance. I have a problem with the Romulans changing their <laughs> their appearance. Why? The whole point of the Romulans and the Vulcans. This is like the point 
of why they look alike. It's like so they get you know they get confused. People think Spock might be a Romulan right when you see the Romulans for the first time. Yeah. And then and then in TNG, it's like oh no, they they have a they have they evolved this random forehead in the last you know eighty years or something. Like what? Like that? that like where's the augment virus on the Romulans? Right. <laughs> like that's. I don't know if they like. I, I don't know why they needed to do that because I felt like oh we upgraded the Klingons. I guess we should upgrade the Romulans too. Like that's the only explanation I can think of of why they added that that silly extra forehead br- uh, bridge or brow or whatever. I, I, it's one of the areas I think. I think a lot of the plot points uh, with the Romulans were very good. A lot of the storylines were very good. I don't think they did well with the the makeup in the uniforms at all. Oh, yes. They really just they just missed the boat. The the sets with the ships and everything I thought were fine. The bridge sets and the design of the Romulan ship I thought was great. Yeah, the Warburg is amazing. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was it was all good, but it was just, it just was kind of a, a swing and a miss I thought on that aspect of it. And again, you know, sometimes we we try to modernize things, and sometimes it works. I think like the Klingons. Uh, and then, you know, with the Romulans, it, it, it really just didn't work out that well. Well, the, the thing with the Romulans is they look the same in the original series movies, right? You have, mm-hmm. you, you don't see very many, but you see actually a couple of ambassadors, right? In Star Trek five and then Star Trek six, right? You see the Romulans and they look just like they did in TOS. So they, even the Romulan, but he has like the sash and everything, you know, it's a different yep. color or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then you go to, uh, so TNG changed that themselves. Like, right. well, that's, that's, that's on you TNG, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because if you look at TOS, Obviously, motion picture, Star Trek three, Star Trek four, they had already changed the way the Klingons look. So obviously, TNG just kind of picked that up and ran with it, right? Right, right? But they decided on their own to like, oh, we need to upgrade the Romulans too. So don't look at us, guys. We did, we did it right. Star <laughs> original series through Star Trek six, no problems. Even okay, even the Kelvin timeline. Yeah, right. They just haven't put some much tattoos them. on them. That's it. They put yeah. some tattoos on them and shaved their heads because I, what I can only assume, and it was the same logic of why they changed it from. Romulans, the Klingons, and Star Trek Three was like, oh, hey, look, if we don't make these guys look significantly different than like Spock and Sarek and all these Vulcans, people are going to get confused. The general audience goer. That's well, my thinking. So that's why they look so radical. I know different. in the in the pre story or the um, the comic the books that countdown, came out, yeah, yeah. The, the 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 primer or whatever before the the movies came out, the Romulans did indeed look like the Romulans, but this this band. You know, shaved and added the tattoos as part of right. their, their little cult-like fashion of getting their revenge on, on the Federation and Vulcan in particular. So there was a a detailed an, explanation an, for an it, in-universe explanation. I agree with that. Was, it's just yeah. the, it the, the, the the logic behind why they needed to look different in the first place was, oh, we need to make these guys look different. So it's very obvious because there's a lot of Vulcans in Star Trek Nine. You know, there are. Uh, so they're like, we okay, we got to make sure people understand the difference between the Vulcans and the Romulans. But they didn't have these these forehead V's. You know, so good on you for all the changes people want to complain about. J.J. Abrams made he made the didn't give the Romulans forehead V's. So <laughs> <laughs> hashtag forehead gate, Ken. Forehead gate. Okay, I like it. There you go, man. Well, we were talking about Klingons. We've gone into Romulans. <laughs> well, see, there's another show we can't do. Nice job, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> Got to stay in our lane. <laughs> we can't do part two. You know mm-hmm. what happened to the Romulans? Uh, but they weren't very prominent at all in the TOS movies. I mean, no, and I, I wish they would have been. I mean, obviously that they changed. Leonard Nimoy wanted to change it because Harv Bennett wrote Ryman's in the script, so I had Bird of Prey. He he thought the Klingons are more their big bad guy, and again, uh, not confusing Vulcans with Klingons because we had more. We had Spock, we had Savick, you know, we had multiple Vulcans. So I uh, I don't know. I, I wish I really wish we could have seen like a like a movie era. 
like uh, Romulan ships and something like that, some kind of story. Right? I don't know why, because because the Romulans in the flesh they appear twice on TOS, three times with their ships. Balance of Terror and Enterprise Incident, like, are both on my top ten list, and I believe are pretty much on most people's top ten list. Right? So uh, very well regarded, very well remembered, very great enemy. Mm-hmm. Would be great to see them. I don't know what capacity, right? But I mean, because the Klingons kind of dominated the T. They were li- they were in literally every TOS movie. Even in Star Trek Two, because we see them in the Kobayashi Maru. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, we, we do, yeah. So there's no space. There was really no space for the Romulans, unfortunately, other than those supporting roles in the last couple of movies. No, but I would no. love to see. Them. We know that if when when the Romulans are pulled in and made a big part of the plot, like they were in Nemesis, the movie's just outstanding. So <laughs> that's a very good point. <laughs> even and even Deep Space Nine, who went into uh, who like they brought in the Klingons, they brought in all these you know yeah. major roles. Like even the Romulans, they were kind of there. But they still didn't really dive into them. I don't, uh, I don't know what it is. It's about a fake that. is probably the biggest line ever in DS9. <laughs> it's a fake. It's a fake, right? That's probably one of the biggest uh, the, oh, man. The memes you see out there. So it's it's kind of exciting. So uh, yeah, no, they've had their day, and they did all right in ST09. I thought so. Mm-hmm. No, I uh, yeah, it, it's the Klingons, the Romans. I guess they're all kind of much like in the Starship universe itself. They are they are forever intricately tied together yes um there's all these alliances and, that, and that's cool too i think about the klingon culture is is that they are uh they're they're doing their own thing out there they're not just existing they're not stagnant they're making they're changing you know uh they're they're making alliances here and there you know even tng did it tos did it as well they they uh align with romulans and federation people to for their own <laughs> nefarious ends i mean like i say in star trek six it's ironic that they <laughs> in order to you know uh keep the two cultures from working together and becoming mm-hmm. allies, they ally themselves with the other cultures <laughs> to keep separate. Like it's the great irony of Star Trek six. Right. Um, and so, but that shows they are sophisticated. You know, they're not just the, you know, the, the generic Klingon that they dealt, they started to kind of delve into in later than 24th century, you know, that they're, 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 they're maneuvering, they're scheming, that kind of stuff more like the TOS Klingons. Right. So, so there, there's, there's a lot more of the TOS Klingons and the TOS movies even though they have the appearance of the later era right. 21st century Klingons. So they just, you know, they're a, people can oversimplify them, right? They're like, oh, well, they just do, oh, again with the Klingons, right? But they're, they're, they're pretty layered, you know? And then, of course, Discovery has opened up a whole new world for the Klingons, and we'll see how they continue to be, because they were such a huge part of the beginning of the season. Now they kind of made their Mirror Universe side quest. <laughs> now they're back to the main storyline. They're going to wrap that up, and I'm interested to see how they evolve the look and the relations with the Klingons as Discovery continues as a show. Yeah, it's well. I think that's 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 the uh, the big thing. And of course, um, we're all going to be extraordinarily impatient as we wait for <laughs> the show to come back. Yeah, I, I don't know when the, the is there an announcement of when like season. I don't know. It's season one's just ended, and we're like, when season two? But that, those are fans for you, right? Like, I don't. I haven't even heard a timetable of when uh, they might I, be back. I heard. I don't know where I heard, but they were talking about starting up next January, and I'm like, oh god, I hope not. But we'll see. You know, I don't even know when they. Th- well, they get well. Ten, that's great. That gives us what nine months of <laughs> shows or people. Hey, there we go. To? Right there's an it's optimistic wonderful. piece of it. It's all about you and it's all We're about back. you and me, Zach. When it all when it all comes down to it, Standard Orbit yes, is we back. We about this huge universe, universe of stars. It all comes back to Standard Orbit and where we all fit in this great <laughs> concophony of Star Trek podcasts and episodes and movies and shows. Yes, yes, yes. Excellent. Well, talking about the Klingons and the Romulans and everything in between isn't the only thing we're doing on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Literary Treks. 
But let's start with that first one, that Siege in Super Space. So, oh boy. Super Space, I, I don't know. Is this, is this better than Subspace? Is it? Well, I think is it this? is. I, the thing I, I really love about this issue is we haven't had uh, many stories at all about Super Space. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Right. So, okay, they're under orders. They're not supposed to talk about it. And that's how, that's how you maintain the continuity that Kirk and Spock are surprised that there's a mirror universe. I mean, that works. That, that, that makes sense. But these people were there. They know that there's doppelgangers there because they know that because Cadet Tilly became Captain Killy. Right. They know they know this. To the journey. There was a lot of face melting in this episode. You're right. <laughs> Everyone's melting. What a world. What a world. It was, yeah, and everybody was slimy looking. Why were they so sweaty? Why? Seven of Nine had this full-on board queen look about her. She did, and who else was really sweaty looking besides Seven? Neelix was really sweaty looking. Yeah, well, yeah, I thought he was. And he had kind of a silver tone. He had the silver he blood. He did. Coming like, he was distinguished. Distinguished melting Neelix. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he got a buff and polish. <laughs> <laughs> the 602 Club. No, I I mean, it was really all we had was like animated shows. Like you had like the animated Batman series, the animated Superman series. And uh, as far as the big screen went, it was not so great. I mean, you had Blade. Blade was some people cite Blade as kind of the precursor for the superhero genre picking back up. But it was very much kind of a, a genre film. I don't. I know technically it is a comic book film. I don't know if I'd count it in the realm of, like, big-budget superhero movies. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and a written review. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and most third-party apps. And you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link as well. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month, so we really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We also want to thank very, very much our, our esteemed associate producers, Norman C. Lau, Nicholas Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. So Norm, Nick, Tim, Richard, Corey, and Dan, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. It means as much as we can, compl- can possibly tell you, uh, the world to us, that, that you've agreed to sign on and help keep Standard Orbit alive and well. Yes, thank you so much, guys. We really do appreciate all your contributions. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us email, 
you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Standard Orbit. That will come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at trekfm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. As for us personally, you can find me on Twitter at moronzach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. And I'm also the host of my own show called Always Hold On to Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at alwaysmallville with one S. What about you, Ken? Well, you can find me on Twitter as well at Boston SCPO, stands for at Boston Senior Chief Petty Officer. And I'm also on the Babel Conference whenever I can be engaging and trying to add, you know, a lot of good provocative suggestions to our other shows. But anyway, we look forward to seeing you on the Babel Conference and responding back and forth on this show as well. All right, well, that's going to do it for us this week. But stay tuned next time for another edition of Standard Orbit. <laughs>